episode of the portable magic dispenser this is a new podcast within a podcast uh, this podcast is called you should have been a meat shield and it's going to all be about dungeons and dragons in your school library uh, where where did i come up with that title it's uh, something that another student shouted at another uh, player in, during a recent Dungeons and Dragons setting, and I thought it was hilarious as they were in a very tricky predicament. This um, podcast is going to be uh, soon will be a recap of uh, the students' adventures and how I, as a dungeon master, react to their um, their situations and hopefully providing helpful tips and hints on how to run it. But today, since it's the first episode, I really want to discuss getting started. Uh, first of all, how to bring players to uh, the library to play a game like Dungeons & Dragons. Um, for me, it wasn't really difficult. Uh, I hate to sound like oh, it was easy. I wouldn't say easy, but it was that they were their need was already there. This game, Dungeons and Dragons, in our library started with the huge popularity of uh, Stranger Things, and I'm writing all about this stuff. I'm really fortunate that I'm writing a book on uh, Dungeons and Dragons and school libraries and how to get started, how to bring players in, and um, the benefits it's had—not just for the players, but for me, for Facet Publishing, which will be out in February. But I want to have a series of podcasts available. For anyone who would rather have that kind of medium this uh so when stranger things first came out it was obviously huge and our students absolutely loved it and dungeons and dragons is a big part of that tv show so they were asking me about it and i had had some um experience playing it not much actually i read all the books but growing up where i grew up in a very rural Canada I never I couldn't find players uh, I had a few friends but it, uh, we ended up playing more of the computer game version on the old uh, I'm going to date myself now but it was a Tandy 1000 SX and we used to play the old um, advanced Dungeons and Dragons uh, second edition vi uh, video games computer games like Champions of Crin and all these old games Eye of the Beholder which were awesome but I'm sure if I played them now they'd be incomprehensible to me but I loved them at the time and so I, I was I knew of the world, but I didn't know that there was such a need for the students, current students to want to play. So what I did was we have a whiteboard. As you walk in the library, there's a whiteboard that I let students interact with. I put a question up they can answer or something. And I just put, should we start a Dungeons and Dragons program? Three columns. Yes, no. What's Dungeons and Dragons? And within a few days, some another student had written under the third column that game from Stranger Things. And it, it didn't take long, a few days, for the entire yes column became a, you know incomprehensible mess of check marks and yes, please. And, you know, how do I blah, blah, blah. How do I sign up? So I created a sign up sheet. I just put 10 spaces. I knew I knew in my head that you can't have tons of students. It's this kind of sad reality unless you run it all the time we try to run it as much as we can you're 
issues you're going to come up with is that they it can get loud. So if you are leaning towards more of a quiet atmosphere in your library, you may need to think about the times that you play. It may work better for an after-school event, or it may work better when you pair it with another kind of activity. So for us, we run it during our games day on Friday and our book club day on Tuesday, so at lunchtime. So they get almost a full hour, and there's all, obviously there's some other activities happening. So it's not just that usually, okay? Now, the sign-up sheet for us filled up instantly, but you may be asking, how do I, you know, if I don't have any role-playing games or tabletop role-playing games in my library at all, how do I bring students to the to the library to do this? If you're a school librarian, my advice is to simply advertise uh, as much as you can. I had po- I did have posters up. I still have posters up um, made by the students actually that um, that are you know hopefully bringing in new faces. But it's kind of full up at the moment for us. I spoke at assemblies um, for other things. I didn't need to really for D and D, but. If you are, I should say, if you are really interested, I would ask a year, you know, head of year, or if you're, or, or a teacher, can I speak at an assembly? Um, you could send an email out to parents that this that you're going to be doing this. You could, um, if you have, you know, if you have a good relationship with some teachers, to say, can I just take two minutes at the top of your lesson, top of your class, to discuss um, this new, this cool new program. I don't think it'll take long for your sessions to fill up. Personally, for me, I would say try to keep it between six and eight people plus a dungeon master. If you're not going to be the DM, my advice is to reach out to older students. So we currently have a 15-year-old student running it for ages 11 to 12, 11 to 13. I'm also the dungeon master for a group of 15 slash 16-year-olds. And so there's a bunch of different sessions happening, but that's how I would advise getting the students in. Uh, There's a lot you can do with, you know, colorful (laughs) posters and sign-up sheets and, um, and just by running a session, uh, if you can get a few students in, it will attract attention. Students who are coming in going, what is this? How do you play this? What is going on? It happens all the time with ours, and in the moment, I'll say, "Look, I'll, I'll, you know, if I don't know the student really well, I'll say, look, give me your name. I'll write the name down. I'll email you everything, and come back, you know, before school tomorrow or during break time, and I'll, I'll fill you in. Just because it's it's hectic to stop a mid session, as anybody knows, and try to explain this game, which is um, massive and can be overwhelming, but it's also for me, I mean, amazing. So. I think if you advertise, they will come. If you put it out there, they will. They will. They will definitely um, want to to take part. I also recommend. Um, there's a ton of Dungeons and Dragons based um, books now. You can get the um, the D and D annuals. They're called. Um, there's also a series of choose your own adventure uh, books that are really cool. Um, then they're all D and D based. There's a there's another great book. Um, called D&D Academy, No Humans Allowed. Um, it's il- illustrated by Tim Probert, who did the Lightfall 
graphic novels and I th- oh, I'm going to blank on the author it's my fault Madeline um, uh, let me look it up now this is great podcasting um, listening to a guy type and um, and uh, look for look for the name of a book um, anyway I apologize to Madeline I don't know your last name and I've forgotten it but I am reading the book currently which is great this is a great uh a great librarian uh, promotion here. Can't remember the name of a book or an author and can't seem to find it, which is good. But I'm going to keep uh, keep moving here. Um, <laughs> once you've got your players, um, what do you need to play? I cannot stress enough, if you're going to try D&D, that's the one I know the best, to be honest. Um, you cannot go wrong with the starter kit. I think it's just called the Dungeons & Dragons Starter Set. You can purchase it for about ten pounds here in the UK. I think it's what fourteen, fifteen dollars in, in the United States. It has everything you're going to need to start. It has pre-made characters, which takes a huge amount of time off your hands. I can go through in a later session how to create a character, but this these sheets can get you started almost immediately. It has an amazing preset uh, campaign or mini adventure. Okay. Um, I, which is again and, and like a, a condensed version of the rule book but I would recommend getting the player's handbook which has a lot of tons of stuff in it. it again it can seem overwhelming but I would recommend those things and that is going to be um, another 25 pounds or so so I'd be completely honest as much as I love D&D it can become a very expensive rabbit hole however you can get dice. Um, somebody was asking me about dice. The starter set comes with dice. It comes with uh, character sheets, blank character sheets, and pre-made character sheets. And everything you need to get started. However, if you'd like to have more dice, which you can do, I think just like for £8, you know, for 13 $12, $13, you could have, I think there's a set of like 42 dice you can get I mean, are they amazing quality? Probably not. But that's what I... You could do that. And so there, you've already spent a little bit of money, but you don't need miniature figures. You don't need maps. I've slowly accrued this stuff because I play as well. I play it like on my own with other friends as well in my, in my personal life. So I have this stuff. So I bring it to the school. But I you don't need a huge amount of, of things. Okay? Um... Uh, so those are the things that you uh, really need to get started and it's really simple uh, to, to do my advice is because when I first started I felt completely overwhelmed I thought I'm going to be uh, doing something wrong I don't know what how the rules work I don't understand this at all but I would say just jump into it because when I learned about something called the the rule of cool which essentially means you as a dungeon master can allow things to happen that bring fun and excitement to the table even if they bend the rules um it it kind of like freed me up as long as you're having fun and the students are having fun if you have done something that isn't you know bang on the rules it doesn't matter that's what's cool about dungeons and dragons is that you can create your own um world and you can create your own version of the rules if you want to you should try to follow the rules there are some kind of like core rules you should definitely follow 
but bending the rules to fit a specific situation, I don't, I personally don't have a problem with that. I want the students to have fun. And I would also recommend using a pre-made adventure. If you have uh, endless time to create your own, then please go for it. But uh, for me, I don't. So I would use the one in the starter set. And then I would use one uh, called Storm King's Thunder, which I really love. And I ran, that was the first one I did really with um, the students. So I've been playing D&D with the same students for nearly three years. And it's grown a bit. And then they've gone off and done their own with other students. So we have a big crew, crew of students. But I've done Storm King's Thunder. And I've done, and now we're about to finish Tomb of Annihilation, which is brutal. And when I mean brutal, it means it is tough. I've had, I've tweaked it big time for the students. So the other thing you're going to find when you buy a pre-made campaign is that there's some stuff that has, I would say, A, extreme violence and some adult stuff. I've definitely tweaked it just so it's not so, you know, ridiculously over the top violent uh, imagery, I guess is what I'm trying to describe or anything else. So Tomb of Annihilation is one that is extremely, extremely tough and we're about to finish, but it's been a lot of fun. And um, what I suggest is, again, there's a great website called DM Guild, G-U-I-L-D, and you can find pre-made adventures, like what they call one-shots, so just things that would take maybe four hours to do, uh, for maybe a pound or two pounds, or pay, pay what you want. You can create an account, and I've got so much stuff from that website, and that's, again, uh, DM G-U-I-L-D. I would really recommend going there. So once you've got your students and you've got your starter set, again, it's, I don't think you should, if you've never done it before, I don't think you should do it without having the starter set. You have to kind of determine when you want to do it. We do hours at lunchtime, as I said. It gives us about 55 minutes, roughly. And I've said this on uh, social media recently, but this is a game that I've been working with teens for almost 15 years. I've never seen a game this unique in that they, the students never miss a session, typically. If they do, it's very rare. And if I miss a session, sometimes I get emails. <laughs> you know, please, what's going on? Like, where are the, when is the session? So I really recommend uh, um, running it and just trying it and seeing if you have fun. If you if you aren't laughing or having fun with it, then you kind of like work out what's going on. If you'd rather have a student run it, I would, I think that's absolutely fine. Just, you have to still be a presence in my opinion, because things can kind of go off the rails or they get distracted or it gets way too loud or something like that. But it's just, you know, they're having fun with it usually. So it's hard to, to stop anything. And I mean, for us, we're really, we're really lucky because they are, the students who are playing and being and the students who are running it are so dedicated to it that um, they take it pretty seriously in a good way. So once you've got all that, determine when you when it works best for your space, I guess. And then uh, you need to, in my opinion, set some maybe what I call, or not what I call, but what is called session zero. And that really is just the first session that you're going to have with your players. And the point of it is to establish many things. Um, sometimes these things need to be repeated, but it's a good way to get them out of the way early. 
what kind of campaign are you going to run? Uh, you need to let the students know wh- what you're going to be doing. Okay, um, just let them know early on. Uh, this one tomb of annihilation is set in the jungle. So before we even played it, I sat down with them and I was like, "This is where we're going to be." I was like, "It's going to be a very hot, humid place. Be a lot of exploration. It's going to be a lot of dangerous animals. You will be beat, bitten up by bugs and things like that." And it affected the way that they, the students, created their characters. And for example, one student created a a, a grung, which is a frog based character because they, they knew they were going to be in the jungle and they created a whole backstory about their life life in the jungle we'll be back after a quick break do you ever wish you could sit in on a conversation with some of your favorite authors and listen to them talk about their writing process their path to publication and of course their newest novels hi i'm marissa meyer best-selling author of the lunar chronicles and i would love for you to check out the happy writer podcast where every week I talk with other writers about books, craft, inspiration, and how to bring a little more joy into our lives. The Happy Writer is available wherever you get your podcasts or find us on Instagram at Happy Writer Podcast. Uh, it can really help with the creative process. Um, once they make their characters, uh, I try to play a role in their backstory. So, I have read through the campaign by this point, and they're all in DMs Guild, the website. There's a great, there's always great guides and like, um, how do it's almost like cliff notes of each campaign because some of them are really thick and long. Again, you have to take some time with it if you're going to do it, and because you know as a as a GM, you know the, I guess the villain, the, the whole story, the story arc. You can create little back stories for your players' characters that match into that um to me the fun of it is creating big reveals for the students or if they discover things from their characters past and i definitely ask the players to send me copies of their character sheets and i could go through a whole thing of creating characters later you can find stuff on youtube probably better than i'll explain but i would like i'm going to put it in here anyway in case it's useful for anyone but having copies of the character sheets make sure that a is filled out correctly also helps me in the moment if they are struggling to find something about their character i can usually flip through and help them and save us a lot of time um i'm not pretending to know i'm no expert i've only been doing it three years really three or four years and what i would say is if you watch D D stuff on youtube don't think you have to live up to that expectation those people are usually professional actors or professional voiceover actors who play for a living. They get paid a lot of money to play Dungeons and Dragons. And you don't, I don't. This is a hobby usually. And do not think you need to live up to any of those expectations. You're not going to be like that usually. I'm not, no one is going to be. We, I mean, we probably wish we could play D&D for a living, but we have very little time. Um, so I wouldn't, don't worry about that. And I'm not going to pretend to know everything about the game. And I tell them that up front. We're going to have to look stuff up. But I'm hopefully this podcast will help us um, save time. Because time is your enemy. <laughs> a standard session of D&D, if adults usually are going to sit around a table and play, is between four and six hours. Which is not going to happen in a school setting. Playing one session for 55 minutes or under an hour is tough. So I've had some battles take four hours 
to play, to get through for real hours. Um, that may only be a couple minutes game time, but stuff can happen. That that for us is two weeks of real life for one fight. So that's something to keep in mind. You may need to like do a few things to, to keep things moving. I know I'm jumping ahead, but with back to session zero, knowing your characters is really important. Knowing your players' characters, knowing their stories and their abilities is really important. Um, I, you know, I email the students out all the stuff, maybe handouts, things that are important to the story, any background of the story that won't give too much away. Um, it's a lot of fun doing that. I think they really like that too. They like to, they like to, that they're taking part in the story and in the creativity that comes out of these students is really amazing. It's just about making it as immersive and fun as possible. And I also use session zero to establish the rules. And I don't mean the rules of the game, but table rules. And I just do this up front. And again, I try to keep it really laid back and easy going. I don't want it to be like a, obviously like a class or a lesson, but you do have to kind of have some basic rules. And obviously my main rule is be kind to each other. And I don't just mean the students, usually they're friends or friendly, but I'm talking about the characters. Um, this is not enough. I tell them up front, this is not going to be player versus player. There's definitely tons of other PvP type games out there. My experience is if you will start to allow players to fight each other in game, it, it it devolves into real life arguing and people piling on or people with actual feelings being hurt because another character decided to do something, um, you know, fight another character. Um, I don't allow it straight up i just don't allow any pvp because i say we you the whole thing is about them working together to survive a dangerous situation uh there are tens of other stuff they can do yeah this is a game where they're going to work together and they're going to um uh solve things on their own <laughs> uh as a group i should say the other thing is keep crosstalk to a minimum. What I mean by that is um, when it's someone else's turn or if I'm speaking, I'm kind of like describing something. I don't want to hear other voices talking across the table, really. I don't mind some, but they have to be respectful when it's someone else's turn. That's why it's good to have um, the, the turn order displayed somewhere or reminding students, okay, it's your turn and you're up next. Think about what you want to do. That will help save a lot of time it's just about being respectful and they, and they will um dice spinning um this will happen and i i personally i don't know what it is maybe it's my <laughs> strange um pho not phobia but um, bugbear i don't know how to describe it I, I i hate it i don't know what it is the students will be obsessed with the dice because the dice are uniquely shaped <laughs> um uh, and they will want to spin and stack and knock them over. I just say, please don't do this. Um, and if they start to do it, clicking them, flicking them across across the table, I'll say, we're going to stop that, please. Uh, I don't, well, I, I'm not a strict <laughs> person, but with that thing, I just say, look, we're just, let's focus here. Let's play, let's pay attention. Um, they will have a tendency to, to spin them. Um, yes, they're there to have fun. But they will have more fun if they engage and listen to what's going on. And they and they and it will. We don't have that issue anymore. We did at the beginning. Um, and they always end up all over the floor, which takes time, waste time to go collect them. <laughs> okay. Really, session zero also is a time to ask the students what they want to get from the game. This will help, but you can tailor it to their liking. 
I do pre-bought campaigns, but you can tweak it. There's no, they're not, nobody's going to be standing over your shoulders saying you have to do it this way. Um, again, as a DM, uh, your job is not to kill the characters. Your job is to encourage their success, actually. Your, your job is to help them succeed, but by making it fun and challenging. And not to be caught up in the small stuff. Uh, and I'll go through that in another episode. But your job is to create this world full of danger and watch them get through it, really. Uh, I tend not to, what they call, kill kill characters, which is where they lose their character completely. I don't do that with the students. I have done it with um, adults that I'm playing with sometimes if I'm the dungeon master. But in my experience, these students have taken a, our students have taken a lot of time with these characters, and they've drawn pictures of them, and they've made great backstories and expressed a ton of creativity so i can tell they're attached to them usually and i don't want to say you've lost that character and that's just the way i run it if you decide to be more strict to the rules and say your character is gonzo you can do that but uh i hope that was helpful i'm going to not make i'm going to make it so it's not uh these aren't ridiculously long we're almost at 25 minutes so I think the next episode will be uh, creating characters, helping to create a character, and maybe not a specific character, but just a, but maybe with an example or two. But I'll do another episode on that soon. And I hope that was helpful with you know what you need. Again, paper, pencil, maybe graph paper, so they can draw maps of what you're describing. They should have a notebook of some kind, or just even paper. You should have a notebook of some kind um, and the starter set, 10 pounds, $14. I would definitely seek that out. And it has a condensed rule book, which is invaluable. Take some time and go through that. And you can always contact me if you have any questions. So you can contact me on Twitter at Lucas J. Maxwell and let me know um, what you think of it and anything that you're confused about. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed uh, this episode of You Should Have Been a Meat Shield. Take care. Speak to you soon.